Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm number 139. It says in verse number 13, For you, that's God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And yes, we are. Just, just for fact, the brain has 10 billion nerve cells to record what it sees and hears. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Two million tiny sweat glands, about 3,000 per square inch, that regulate the temperature of our body on a constant basis. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before there was time, God wrote your history in his book. Father, thank you for very strong, powerful truth that come right out of your heart because you are definitely the creator and definitely interested in life. Definitely your son has come into the world because the enemy came to, to kill and to steal and destroy your son Jesus came that we might have life, that we might have it more abundantly. So open our hearts, our ears, our minds to hear and then do something to act. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As the judge pointed out on January 22, 73, Supreme Court legalized abortion on demand in all 50 states. 1984, President Ronald Reagan issued a proclamation declaring January 22 to be the National Sanctity of Human Life Day. We just passed that anniversary just about a week and a half ago. In 2015, abortion became a hot-button issue because a group of pro-life activists released a series of undercover videos showing the covert discussions, their covert discussions, with Planned Parenthood officials. And the pro-life activists posed as buyers of human body parts and recorded all the conversations for release to the public. The resulting backlash turned out to be a pretty embarrassing circumstance to the pro-abortion movement as they were having to discuss what happens with these aborted babies. Some of the conversations included Dr. Deborah Nukatola, Planned Parenthood Senior Director for Medical Services, who told the actors posing as organ traffickers, we've been very good at getting heart, lung, liver, because we know that, so I'm not going to crush those parts. I'm going to basically crush below them. I'm going to crush above them. And I'm going to see if I can get it all intact. Another video, Holly O'Donnell, a former STEM Express technician who harvested the parts from the aborted babies at a Planned Parenthood clinic, explained, quote, We were asked to procure certain tissues like brain, livers, thymus, pancreas, heart, lungs, and pretty much anything on the fetus. She said, it's basically a huge trafficking of fetal tissues. Stem Express is a company, she said, that hires procurement techs to draw blood and dissect dead fetuses and sell the parts to the researchers, end quote. Can you believe this is happening in the United States of America? Huh? In, in the third video, Planned Parenthood Gulf Coast Research Director Melissa Farrell was, showing, was shown trying to negotiate a business agreement with investigators posing as organ buyers, they discussed how they could defend increased payments for more valuable organs, even though the law only permits payment for costs. And she said, quote, it's all just a matter 
of line items. Watch. Yeah, and so if we alter our process mm -hmm. and we are able to obtain intact fetal cadavers, then we can make it part of the budget that any dissections are this and splitting the specimens into different shipments is mm -hmm. this. I mean, that's, it's all just a matter of line items. Mm -hmm. Just a matter of line items, okay? I could tell you more, but what I've read to you is already bad enough, okay? The videos were basically an expose of the dark underbelly of the abortion industry. It's a money machine. And a lot of politicians and media and entertainment stars were furious. How dare pro-life folks deceive Planned Parenthood into telling the truth? <laughs> Many even said that the videos were faked, but they were not. Still, pro-abortion folks have adamantly refused to accept the obvious. It is an evil industry. But why would politicians in the media and many in the entertainment business constantly defend this? Well, several reasons. One, this is not a child. It's just tissue. It's really not life yet. Well, at the 20th day, the brain is formed and function, functioning. The nerve endings are all functional. Spinal cord is already functional and creating information flow from the brain to other parts of the body. On the 21st day, the heart is beating. Okay, It's not just tissue. Is it true that it's not life? No, that's not true. Biblically, there are several passages that tell us the baby in the womb is a baby, a baby in the womb. In our passage today, in Psalm 139, we read, You knit me together in my mother's womb. You did. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. In the book of Jeremiah, God tells him, the prophet, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And when Mary came to her cousin Elizabeth to share that she was going to bear the Christ child, Elizabeth replied, as soon as the sound of your greeting touched my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. That happened to be John the Baptist, by the way. And God only knows the people we have lost and the brain trusts we have lost and the leadership we have lost because of abortions in America. The Bible is very clear about the fact that God made us in the womb and that God regards babies in the womb as being children, not tissue. So that's the Bible. What about science? Well, look at this picture. Can you check that out? Looks suspiciously like a baby, doesn't it? Every single month from month number one through month number nine. This is unmistakably a child. But pro-abortion proponents say it's still tissue. So let's consider the issue of tissue. It's unbelievable. Excuse me while I catch my breath on this. This is unbelievable when you think about what we're doing to people. And as research continues to develop and we can look deep inside at the formation of the child, we are more and more convinced every single day through scientific study this is actually a creation that we've got no power over. It's supernatural. 
on the screen behind me, you can take a look and see what I'm looking at. These are eagle eggs. You can see the eagle taking, trying to take care of them. And you realize that it's illegal to destroy those eggs? In addition to it being illegal to destroy the eggs of various birds and other turtle species, and understandably why, because some of them are endangered, but look at the, look at the eggs. Yeah, they're just eggs. It's just tissue, right? It's not really a bird, is it? Well, as far as scientists are concerned, yes, it is a bird. And if you destroy those eggs, you'll be fined and even imprisoned. But if that's a bird, then this is a baby. Because even the word fetus declares that a child inside the womb, fetus means a little child. Another approach pro-abortion forces use to push their agenda is to say, the fetus belongs to the woman, or it's my body. You've heard that, right? The baby is still inside the womb of the woman. The baby is still a part of her body is their mentality. Therefore, the claim, the baby is mine to keep or to destroy. I can do with it what I choose. See, it's not your body. That's a separate body and a separate creation by God, and you are housing his creation. Thus, the parent in their mind owns the child, but it's not really a child to them. It's an object. It's a commodity to to possess it or to discard it. But down through the ages, the pagan cultures often looked at children the way we now in our culture are looking at children. In Biblical Archaeology Review, they talk about the city of Carthage. It was a very powerful community, and, and the Carthaginians in their day uh, used to practice sacrifice. And, and, they, and the archaeologists were discovering all of these sacrifices. When the city was small and young in its early stages, there were a lot of sacrifices of animals by, by the research. But as Carthage grew and exploded in its growth, sacrifices then became those of children. And why was the change? Well, the scientists discovered that it needed the children as the city developed because they needed their strength and their ability to build a community that were valuable. So animals were the disposables. But as the city grew larger and space became at a premium, more food to feed the masses was needed. Thus the city grew, and animals or food became more valuable than their children, and the children became possessions they could dispose of and sacrifice them. In ancient Rome, across the Mediterranean, children were seen as possessions of the father in the household. And if a father saw his child as being undesirable, undesirable, then by law, he could place the child outside the house to die. The child was his possession to be disposed of. In modern-day China, the central government mandates each, each family could only have one child. And families began to realize that they, if they only had one chance at getting what they wanted as a child, then they had to use abortion to weed out the children they didn't want. So sonograms were used to find out the nature and the gender of the child that was in the womb. And if it came down to a choice between a boy or a girl or a male or a female, one to be aborted, which gender do you think they most aborted? The female. Boys were more highly prized. The child became their possession to be, became a possession to be disposed of at their own discretion. 
So when a person says, it's my body, they are declaring that the child inside of them is not a child, but an object, a commodity to be destroyed or disposed of at will. But it goes even further than that. Abortion rights folks want to keep God totally out of the picture. One graphic image I saw of a woman wearing a T-shirt had this written on it, quote, my body, my sexuality, my choice, my morality, my right, my morality. What she's saying is, I don't want anybody, especially God, telling me what to do. But God is involved here, and God does have a right to tell us what to do. Creator always has the power to determine what its creation does. For you, God created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Babies are made in God's image. And if they're made in his image, who do they belong to? God. We don't own our children. God does. We are basically stewards of of that child, of that life that he's bringing out of eternity into time. And our job is to be a good steward of this precious creation he's allowed us to have. We don't own the child. This is a creation of God. So if that baby is killed in the womb, God regards it as murder, murder of his creation. In Exodus 21, if people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. So notice the scripture isn't talking about women in general. This is talking about a pregnant woman, very focused, and her child is the subject of this particular law of God. So if someone strikes her so the child is born prematurely, there's a fine. But if the baby is killed or harmed, it's an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's a life for a life. That truth is carried over into our modern day law. Because in America, if a pregnant woman is injured so that her child inside dies, at least 38 states in our union proclaim that is murder. Because a baby is not tissue, and it's not a possession, and it's not a commodity. The unborn baby is a child, and killing the unborn is wrong, and it's evil, and it's murder. So now what do we do about it? How do we respond in a culture that promotes the death of babies? How do we respond to businesses like Planned Parenthood who profit selling baby body parts? Well, first of all, they should be defunded and regulated to be sure they exclude performing abortions. Last week, the Sanctity of Life Day, about a week and a half ago, hundreds of thousands of people marched across our nation. Certainly, you could do that on January 22, rolling around next year, and join one of those. You could also be sure that you vote only for candidates who stand for life rather than death. And you can do what the judge proposed, and I think it's a brilliant idea to write both houses of Congress and our representatives and tell them we would like them to create a statute that defines the child unborn as a person and ask the President of the United States by letter and phone call to sign it. There are those who regard abortion and politics as just a wedge issue. 
They don't regard this debate as being important to the other matters that are facing our nation. But we better comprehend this. God will not bless a nation like ours that destroys the life of helpless children in the womb for the sake of our convenience. It's an important issue. And it's our issue. Because before it was politicized, it was always a biblical issue. And our pulpits have been silent and fearful to speak. And we should no longer be silent nor fearful to speak. This has great political, cultural ramifications. And as Christians, we have to place it high on our agenda when it comes to whom we cast our ballot for. Because remember, the ballot is one of the most sacred components of your liberty. Because it's the only legalized means we have to change the course and direction of our culture is casting a ballot. And when you don't vote, you're casting aside an amazing freedom that should never be cast aside that lightly. And when you do vote, you need to do your homework. And we should, we should only allow those who are legally here, citizens of the United States, to have the right to cast that ballot. Now, let's say we succeed. Let's say we close down every abortion mill tomorrow. Let's say we put Planned Parenthood and everyone liked them out of business. Then what do we do? We just, good job, took care of business. No, because there are two big root problems at the core of this that go beyond what they're doing in, the, in those mills and those environments. Because first of all, one of those root problems is it's the love of money. It's greed. It's a money machine. And the love of money is the root of all evil. There's a second root involved in this. The root problem is the morality issues that we have and the church has failed to speak clearly about. Girls who sleep with boys and end up pregnant, then feeling trapped. A consequence for some, doing something they should never have done. And we should teach the truth of abstinence. But the boy often can escape without much of a penalty. But she's got a baby on the way and not sure, what am I going to do with this? So what the boy and girl did was sinful. It's called fornication in the Bible. It's not acceptable to God to act in this, in this matter. It's the girl, though, who has to carry about this child for the next nine months. And there's no escaping the fact she's pregnant. And sometimes there's no available father in view. So how do we deal with that as a Christian group? Well, we're a church. We belong to the family of God. We're the body of Christ. We have two roles to play here. First of all, we need to stand once again for morality in our culture and stop living like the culture. We can't say, well, that's no big problem for you to go out and have sexual relationships outside the bonds of marriage. We can't say it's okay because God says it's not okay. You can't say you didn't do anything wrong because it's not okay. You did do something wrong and there could be consequences for what you've done. So you can't go around what God has given us as his truth and revelation. And we should not try to bend God's word to fit our particular desires. The second thing is, we are in the business of healing broken lives. We are in the business of putting back together again that which has been torn apart and fractured when there has been sin and failure. This girl is now trapped. She's pregnant. And if she realizes she shouldn't have done what she did, then it's our job as the church to take her under our wing and help her through this pregnancy. 
Now, if we're not there for her in the pregnancy, then we simply add to the pressure of her in the life of that child because that's all that's left to her in her mind to avoid the shame and the guilt of the result of her sexual activities with a person. We should find ways to help her. If she desires to raise that child as a single parent, we should lend our love and support and care for her and her newborn. If she so desires and wants to and wants to put it up for adoption, we should help her and steer her to the directions that will help her put that baby into the hands of someone who wants that child and wants to raise that child. And if she's repentant, then we need to help her in any way that we can. As a church, we're here to help correct and bless the helpless and help correct what's wrong in the lives of people by sharing the love of the Lord. Truth, yes, in love, absolutely. And what should we do to curb this wholesale slaughter of the innocent unborn? Well, the Christian should preach, teach, and proclaim the sacredness and sanctity of human life, both born and unborn. It's our job to be the voice of those who can't speak. Support candidates for office who will work for legislation and a human life amendment or statute like the judge just talked about and I reminded you of. Third, oppose the use of federal, state, and local tax money to fund abortions. Oppose the use, uh, giving rather, of federal, state, and local tax money to organizations that perform or promote abortions. And we need to preach, teach, and proclaim biblical instruction regarding sexual relationships. We have failed at doing that in a good way, in a healthy way. The Martins will be out uh, helping you register for one area of broken sexual relationships. But there's a broad need for the church to teach the morality of proper sexual relationships because 79% of abortions that were performed in 2002 were to unwed mothers. So by the thousands and by the millions, the innocent unborn children have been helpless victims of promiscuous sexuality. 60 million is the latest figure since 1973. Unborn have been murdered. And minister and counsel with godly compassion to the unwed mother and help her to see that adoption, not abortion, is a better alternative. And then minister with compassion to those who have participated in an abortion, pointing them to the grace and forgiveness and the love of God and a Savior who forgives and help them to receive that forgiveness as a repentant sinner, like we all are. And there's one more issue here, and that's about the girl who has already had an abortion. Now what do I do? I read the story to you of a young woman who had an abortion, and I quote her. She says, at 21 years of age, I quote, I was numb even after the procedure was done, and I woke up in the worst pain ever. It didn't hit me until I left the place, and I burst into tears on the street, and I haven't stopped crying since. I want to go back and get my baby. I feel like a monster, and I don't deserve to live. And I hate myself for doing that. I don't know why I did it when I can't live with myself. I don't know what to do. I feel scared and empty, end quote. Well, what, we can, what do we say to her? What is the church? What's the voice of the church? She made a choice. Can't take it back. She's scared, empty, abandoned, feels evil in her. What do we say? We need to show the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Amen? Story of Hannah Rose Allen wrote, yes, abortion is murder. She had multiple abortions. She said, quote, we also must take into consideration the confusion created by this form of murder being sanctioned by the law and much of our culture. After all, if it's legal, it must be right or good. 
Then she said, we can be pro-life and against abortion, yet at the same time loving, accepting, affirming, and compassionate to those who have endured the heartbreaking tragedy of abortion. Then she quotes Corey Ten Boom, who said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. God can reach you no matter what you've done. Amen? May we, she said, may we show others the very mercy Christ has shown us instead of kicking the wounded when they're down. And then she said, I will love my babies into eternity, and I will keep my promise to them that I will be their voice as long as there is breath in my body. And let me show you what happens when a church becomes complacent and content and its pulpits grow silent and then try to manipulate Scripture to say things that get them off the hook from standing up for God's principles of right and wrong. Watch. We've got to do something other than sit in our church and be silent. We must write our, our letters and make our phone calls to this Congress that we now have, both houses of Congress, and let those representatives know our feelings and our positions on these matters and the request we have for them to designate babies yet to be born as persons and be protected under the Constitution of our land. And we need to make that demand while we have an opportunity and a window of opportunity that's just been afforded to us. If we just go silent now, we have more to lose in the future than we've lost in our past. We live in evil times. And when the life of an unborn child is treated like mere tissue and is disposed of by a cruel and heartless society, we have to remember that we are sinners saved by grace, all of us. We didn't do anything to deserve the forgiveness and the love of the Lord. And if others knew what we have thought, said, done, we'd crawl under a rock in embarrassment. We need to remember that when dealing with young ladies who have become pregnant because they've done things they shouldn't have done, remember them when we're dealing with people who are in the middle of struggle, may have regretted the choice of abortion. We need to remember to be gentle with those who need the same forgiveness that Jesus has extended us because it's through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So let's stand together for a moment and ask God to help us. As the church, as the body of Christ, we have a voice with which to speak. And certainly after the last election, we have ballots to cast that can turn the direction of our culture. Help us to use them, our voices and our ballots, to make a difference.